Okay, I'm just gonna start. <laughs> boots and puss. <laughs> boots <Sanders>. and puss. <laughs> a, a feminist critique on underrepresentation of women in the works of Boots Riley. <laughs> boots and puss. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, listen, we have to be co- controversial. We have to be. Um, what is the word? Offensive to sell the leftism. Isn't that how leftism online works? According, That's how it works. According That's what they to... tell me. I'm bad at it. Wait, was that recorded? Yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. You, okay. The second Jake said, I'm hitting the recording button, you went, puss and, puss and boots. <laughs> no, I said it the other way. Boots. And... What? All right. Either way, you should have known better. You should have known. Sorry. Maybe I'll cut it out. We have to sell sex. It's pretty innocuous. That's what we, we do. We were freestyling. Sex, and now that I have your attention communism you know mm. you, <laughs> you can't eat pretzels you're a cat you can't eat pretzels it's physically impossible we're not talking about cats either we're talking about rats right now how many of those how many of those books were there back in the day because i remember my dad had a book that just said sex and then <laughs> in very small print and radio broadcasting <laughs> <laughs> that was the last one they made <laughs> yeah, but there were most that well, that wasn't the only one. That was a big that was before there were memes, so the memes had to be on books. Like novelty books. They had to be. I think that that's just an old timey joke. Like, yeah, but I feel like it's it goes it's like its heyday was in like the seventies. Yeah, but your dad probably saw that book and went like ha 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 ha. No, he was <laughs> he was very interested house. in the fine print. Believe me. He had his oh, green reading glasses on. This baby. Yeah. Yeah. Your dad listened to radio porn because he was a radio guy. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh yes. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. Welcome uh, to the show. <laughs> welcome to the show. It's off to a great start. I'm Jake Flores. That's Alex Patak. What's up? I just ate a whole bunch of peanuts out of a Tupperware container, and I'm ready to cast. Let's go. Full of nuts. Ready to make content. Anders Lee is here. In impression of Anders Lee here. Uh, the real Anders Lee would not say something so vulgar. <laughs> this is, let's see, David Spector. Sure. Why not? <laughs> why not? Our friend comedian why not? David Spector said that. And and is going to just be Anders for the rest of the show. That's the bit. Um, or the reality. Listen, folks. We need to talk about something very important. Very uh, urgent, I'd even say, that's happening in New York City right now. Which is that the rats are going insane. This is a real thing. I know it's like... like we shouldn't glorify living in New York, but I think that if you're here right now, it kind of get to soak in a little bit the the fact that we just live in Blade Runner or like uh, yeah, check your privilege. <laughs> uh, rats are trying to eat human beings around you. It's it's bad news, but it's pretty cool. <clears throat> rats have become <laughs> aggressive, is the word in quotes on this uh, this news article I'm reading. Due to COVID-19 restaurant shutdowns, the Center for Disease Control has given out a statement saying that 
rats, because they live off of the trash that restaurants put out, they uh, and we shut down all the restaurants, they're like getting angry and they're starting to like eat each other and shit. They said they're not eating humans, but they say, heavily implied the word yet in a lot of these articles. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're not angry so much as hangry. Right. <laughs> right. Like, it happens to all of us, but now imagine there's a billion of us and we mm-hmm. live underneath the pipes. Yeah. Yeah. So, they're part, like, there's an ecosystem, you know, that they live off of the waste of human society. And since we shut down all the restaurants, all those memes that were like going around where they're like oh nature's healing the dolphins came back to the river no 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 rats are not like that they they're our they tenants. feast on decay we're yeah, their bottom feeders yeah they feed off of us so they're like they're, I feel like we're trying to explain the premise of rats right now <laughs> well I'm trying to draw up a like metaphor dogs, here but smaller they're, like mice but bigger <laughs> i I'm talking about this for a reason. It might seem like I'm just randomly talking about rats, but a little bit later on, we're going to talk about the tenant-landlord relationship, and I think that there is a parallel that can be drawn here because, like, it's like we're their landlords, and, uh, you know, and we're saying, I'm a rat, too. I'm also hungry, but they're, like, hungrier than us, and they're going to eat us, and, you know, then we're going to eat the landlords. We supply no value to them. (laughs) Well, you know what these rats are trash, but we put them in these conditions to begin with. Well, I think these rats could use something that would kind of chill them out a bit, and that is the experience of mentorship. And I'm not for sure be... you were about to plug Kratom. I'm percent sure. Put it in the cheese, that man. Too. I mean, that might create the mutations necessary in turtles to uh, give these rats the experience of taking care of someone and teaching them lessons, uh, which uh. should be the landlord-tenant dynamic. They give us free shelter— and teach us how to fight bad guys, you know, shelter, no, wait, pizza, karate lessons. Hot take. Landlords should teach us lessons. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any problem with paying rent or uh, property ownership. I just feel like I'm missing a mentor. I'm uh, not learning new skills that I well, can pick should... up from a Greek well, unless family. I'm, unless I'm mistaken, Splinter doesn't charge rent, right? They live there for free. Yes. He's just yes. like a lonely Splinter old doesn't. rat who wants to wants to help out the sewer in teenage Mutant ninja turtles is like a uh paris commune or rojava it's a brave new society where their you know their their currency is slices of pizza if i'm to understand the films correctly they don't have money (laughs) yeah that's right pizza is money that's a subtle part of the universe (laughs) people working to uh earn pizza so that they can buy more pizza they do Antifa stuff with their masks. They wear masks. They don't cover their mouths. They just cover their eyes. And then they, like, beat right. up. I don't know exactly who the Foot Clan is supposed to be in this situation. The, they're not the cops. Unfortunately, no? Okay. I'm pretty sure the turtles are paleoconservatives, and they are not covering their mouths because they want to spread the virus. They want to <laughs> spread it. They're, like, a part of... Uh, uh, Europa Univer- Universalis or whatever. Wait, that's not it. That's the video game. Fuck. Oh, I said it into a mic. Fuck. <laughs> Unite Europa. I don't know. The White Power Group. Anyway, the turtles are in on that. 
And uh, uh, it's because they're, you know why? Because they live with their landlord who acts as a mentor figure and he tells them about how skull shapes work. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's get back to these rats a little bit. This is a real thing that's happening. And you might be listening to this podcast and thinking, wow, these podcasters, they all live in Brooklyn, and they think that we'll find it interesting that their city is full of refrigerated morgue trucks and slime on the ground and rats that are angry and stuff like that. But I live somewhere else. We get and it. You have public transportation. Yeah, we La-dee-da. get it. You live. I ain't got no freaking rats in my Chevy Volt, pal. <laughs> well, fear not. This is happening everywhere. Uh, the rats are a part of society that exists in every state. They live symbiotically with humans and this is happening in other cities notably i think the worst case is in new orleans they're saying that uh because new orleans has actually been hit (laughs) new orleans like had to shut down you know french quarter and shit and all the entire goddamn economy there is just based on like street food and stuff so apparently i'm reading this article this guy's this guy's saying that uh where's the quote let me see if i can find it rats (laughs) rats <laughs> oh no rats they're all over me here's the qu- oh god the rats exclamation point exclamation point that's the quote from the rat this is the quote from the man okay i turn the corner there's about 30 rats at the corner feasting on something in the middle of the street <laughs> 30 rats buy you man <laughs> so this guy said he's just like every time he turns around there's just 30 rats hanging out in the street just like feasting oh. on dead. That's no shit. Extremely menacing. <laughs> yeah. What's the most number of rats you've ever seen at one time? I want to um, say like a few. I've never seen more than five at once. Yeah, I don't because think five seen... alone is very intimidating. Yeah, I don't think I've seen more than one. They usually fly solo. That I, where I mean, I haven't been in. I moved out of New York a few months ago, but. Uh, yeah, you sometimes you see one scurrying in the subway, but it's always alone. Right. Well, rats, the perfect emissary of disaster capitalism, do not know how to work together. They mm-hmm. have no uh, uh, mutual aid. Actually untrue. Um, so I'm reading uh, this book well, about fuck. rats right now. <laughs> Guess what it's called? NIM? Rat, rat, communism? Rats. It's called Rats. Uh, it's a fuck. book about rats. And... Oh, yes, I've heard of this. Yeah, it's actually like a New York Times bestseller. It's called it's called Rats: Observations on the History and Habitat of the City's Most un- Unwanted ha- Inhabitants. Um, it's number one in the rat category for twelve <laughs> weeks. <laughs> I just happened to be reading this book, and then I saw that the rats are going crazy outside, and I figured I should uh, learn more about them. So I'm kind of working my way through the book to try to you know understand our new masters or whatever. But. Um, <laughs> Is so, it like a like sociology book or what is it? I don't know. Guy kind of uh, goes through a couple different angles on them, but like the first chapter is just the history of like, you know, where this where rats in America came from. It's really interesting because they originate in Southeast Asia, and there's two types of rats that are uh, like popular in America. There's like a million different types of rats. Um, rats. Everyone are, has their favorite rat. By the way, brace yourself for some rat facts. That's what we're doing today for a Saturday episode. Rat facts. Play the jingle. I'm into it. Um, so rat, the rat is the most common mammal, like, at all. That's 
there's like a bunch of different types of it. But the two main types that we have in America are the brown rat and the black rat. Brown rat is ratus nor nor uh, norviticus nervegetus. Hmm. Something like that. It's they thought it was from Norway. It was a misnomer. And the black oh, rat okay. is called Rattus Rattus, which means I think that was just the first one they named, right? So they right. they came from Southeast Asia and eventually like up through Europe and didn't actually get to the United States until like 1776. There were just no rats here, and huh. hell of a year to come. Yeah, the fucking first year. <laughs> And um, they're just like overall in concept, just like a black mirror idea of like, what if cats was bugs? <laughs> they Fuck a million of them eventually spread to all 50 states. The, the, the only state that really successfully kind of staved off a rat problem is Montana, because like they need to be close to people to just live off of our trash and everything's so far apart up there. It's kind of like coronavirus in a way. Right. Um, the province of Alberta claims to have no rats. It's like on their license plates or something. It's like a really? thing that they say about them. <laughs> rat free <laughs> since 1833. Something like that. It's not on their license plates, but it's like a thing that people say about Alberta. Um, they spread to New Zealand. There's like an it's fucking whenever just like animals make it to Australia, New Zealand. There's been a million of these like weird wars they've had to fight against like emus and frogs and shit. But uh, right. like like that Simpsons episode, there was a war against the rats on this island in uh, New Zealand because they showed up as a foreign animal and they just like ate all the ducks. So they, had they to... ate the ducks. Yeah, they just ate all the ducks. <laughs> and like they ducks had... are far larger than rats. Yeah, they just took them down. I guess they exterminated right, all the they rats. Did work as a... They did work as a team then. That... Here's what I'm getting at, right? So they right. totally did, and uh, yeah. it took them until 2002 to get rid of them off this fucking island, right? And um, so people had studied rats. In America, found out that basically they, they traced uh, Radis norvegicus. Norve- fucking what is the word? Uh, Norvegicus. Norvegicus. Yeah, uh, the brown rat, right? The humble brown rat, back uh, all the way to Southeast Asia. So it made this trek, right? It followed humankind. It followed in like ships and shit like that, and was spread a little bit by this guy named Jack Black, who was a rat catcher for Queen Victoria. Uh, <laughs> What? Yeah, his name was Jack Black. No, just a coincidence. Um, there's a guy who domesticated a bunch of rats, and that's why we have like lab rats and shit. He worked for Queen Victoria. Um, <laughs> uh, this is—I should have asked this before—but is the brown rat bigger than the black rat, or vice versa? I think the brown rat's bigger, but they vary in size, right? Because so um, it's like bears, something like that. Yeah, black bear is little bear. I think that the brown rats are bigger, but the brown rats are the ones we have in New York, right? And so they've studied oh, them. Those are big. <laughs> and <laughs> they totally are like a group species. Like they um mm-hmm. they have this like really, really intense tactile memory. So they remember by feeling shit, which is why they like cling to walls and stuff when they scurry down the street. So people that study rats think that they they often say that like um if you were able to destroy all the walls in New York, the rats would still run in the same lines because they remember like where the walls were and they uh, train their young, right? By doing that. So like their young fall behind them. And so they pass down 
like the circuitry of the streets of New York, like the pathways, like via generation, right? And there are lots of generations of rats because they fuck all the fucking time. Um, God damn it. I wish that was me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They only live for like a year, right? On average, because they just get like run over by cars and shit. I'm going to read it from a paragraph uh, from this book, Rats. Rats succeed while under constant siege because they have an astounding rate of reproduction. If they are not eating, then rats are usually having sex. Most likely, if you are in New York, while you are reading this sentence, or even in any other major city in America, then you are in proximity to two or more rats having sex. Male. No. Two or more. Okay. Two or more. Yeah. <laughs> That's how they make the king, right? We'll get to that in a minute. Male okay. and female rats have sex 20 times a day, and a male rat will have sex with as many uh, female rats as possible. According to one report, a dominant male rat may mate with up to 20 female rats in just six hours. Male rats exiled from their nest by more aggressive male rats will also live in all male rat colonies and have sex with the other male rats. So my man's okay. just got to be fucking like constantly, right? They have needs. <laughs> you all know someone like this, each and every one of you. I saw a movie about it, kind of. Uh, the Secrets of Nim. I watched that recently. <laughs> you guys see that one? Secrets of, uh, <laughs> Secrets of Nympho. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Secrets of Nympho. <laughs> I mean, that's really... Like... Yeah, I guess that's what they were doing, because it is an all-male sort of uh, squadron of rats, and the way they're portrayed there is sort of the protectorate of like other species within their, you know bushel or like the the uh place they live on this this family's yard um but they must have been having a ton of gay sex yeah yeah because they cohabitate well yeah that's the part Um, i have a question for jake i don't know if you've come across this in the book is a rat sex life is it like cats or geese or ducks where it's just like a horrible nightmare (laughs) or is it okay I don't know. It doesn't say whether they have, like, the horrifying, like, body horror Cronenberg corkscrew dick or just a regular one. Um, But I'll tell you a little bit more. The gestation period for a pregnant female rat is 21 days. The average litter between 8 to 10 pups and a female rat can become pregnant immediately after giving birth. If there is a healthy... That's insane! (laughs) If there's a healthy amount of garbage for the rats to eat, then a female rat will produce up to 12 litters of 20 rats each year. One rat's nest can turn into a rat colony of 50 rats in 6 months. One pair of rats has the potential of 15,000 descendants in a year. (laughs) Okay, so if you're not killing them constantly, they just will overrun any area then. Right. And they actually, like, like, exterminators say that they have to do all this crazy shit in order to kill them because they, like, figure it out. So, like, when you put those big rat traps down, they have to uh, leave them with bait on them for, like, a few rounds in order for them to even start trusting that they can eat the rat, uh, the bait off the rat trap. Mm-hmm. otherwise they know what's up like they said that they bust open these holes that they dig so rats live in these big ass um like little burrows underneath like sidewalk panels and shit and th- there's like a tiny hole that goes into the the burrow 
that is like a fucking third of an inch wide and rats can actually collapse their skeletons to squeeze through like a hole that's less than an inch wide in order to get into like this just little bubble they make down there and it said sometimes when they fucking crack open the sidewalk and dig them up they're lined with like trash and sometimes the trash is just chips of wood from the rat traps like as a way of just like you know fuck you man yeah <laughs> very cool um so good can I ask what? Where does a mouse become a rat? Is that just an entirely <laughs> different species? Yeah. <laughs> they when they when they get into drugs, they get on the wrong side of town. <laughs> if you have enough sex, then you become a rat. Is that what it is? Um, you have to evolve it with a moonstone, like in Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> no different animal, I think. Um, All different animal. Because like I've had um, mouse troubles, you know that in New York especially. Uh, and yeah, they, they get wise to the traps too. Um, but we had glue traps for a while once. And once you catch them, it's hard to know what to do with them when you have the stickies, you know, cause if the, the traditional ones just like snap them to death. But I, uh, heard from someone that the most humane way to kill a mouse or I guess a rat, or maybe she had them mixed up because this definitely turned out to not be the case was to freeze them. So Uh what I would do is when I caught the live mice with the stickies, I'd put it in a plastic bag and just throw it in the freezer. Uh And I thought it was like, oh, this is, this is, you know, I'm like doing some Kevorkian shit over here. But then apparently my roommate opened up the freezer one night and they just saw (laughs) the the mouse like. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you're still murdering the mouse. Yeah. There's no I mean, good death, my friend. There's no way. You just got to do it quick. You just got to do it with a hammer or something. I felt so I was, bad uh, when I found that out. We had we had mice in my apartment this year, and I just started stepping on them, and they make a popping noise. Ugh. Well, I had no choice because here's the thing. And we, we look down on rat traps because we you all hear the snap, and you think, if that was me, I would be so unhappy about that snap. But it's like the guillotine for rats. It severs the spine. I have cats with no teeth that just maim and torture. Wait, wait, they have no teeth? Yeah, Waffles had famously like uh, eight teeth pulled in one day. And so he can't really get to the bottom of anything. And so he's just smacking the shit out of this mouse I found like six months ago. And it's like twitching and half its body isn't working. And for a while, I'm like, this is terrible. I'm just going to ignore it. And then it just kept, like, he just kept going. It was like, hours like i left and came back and he's still doing it and i was like okay i am executioner of mice now and uh i think if it was a rat i wouldn't be able to do it because it was only around an inch and a half long so i just like stepped on it but man. rats mm. new, new york rats man are like six inches long <laughs> you have to fucking guillotine that shit yeah you do Take a knife out I mean, they get huge in uh, the South, too, though, because, like, I guess actually there's a lot of water in New York, so this happens here, too. But in, like, New Orleans and along the Gulf Coast, actually, like, I think I fucking met a guy once down in Texas on the Gulf Coast whose job was just to, like, you to shoot rats, essentially. Like, that's the most humane way to kill them. So they would have these, uh, these fucking, like, seats, like, crow's nest mounted on tops of just, like, you know, jeeps. Where guys would just drive around in the middle of the night and just like shoot them with a fucking rifle, because <laughs> like because nutria rats are like huge, just like the size of a dog, but it's a rat. Yeah. 
Some I love the, the, the logic on that, that it's the most humane way to do it. No, it's not. You're just <laughs> shooting them with a gun. Just it's just easy them. for you. <laughs> <laughs> You're well, blowing half its body away. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm, I'm curious if the uh, feline domesticus like evolved alongside the well i guess there are probably some or most species of rat uh, can a cat even kill or well dude that's what's so fucking crazy about this so like i, I just got these cats and i've also just been sitting around reading about cats and like you know th 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 this isn't like fucking you know, don't quote me on this or whatever i don't know if this is hard science or whatever but people like track domestic the, the domestication of house cats back to like like a hundred years that's how recent like, we decided to even let cats inside of our houses. I think before that, they were, like, kind of, like, just these critters that were, like, outside and shit. And a lot of people think they actually kind of domesticated themselves by just, like, being nice to people until they let them inside. And so I guess what I'm getting at with the, the rats is that, like, this is a recent thing. And this thing that's happening in the streets where they're, like, environment is being destroyed via the restaurant shutdown because the coronavirus is like this is like the first time this has happened since new york started you know they've like mm -hmm. always been able to live off the trash and like now everything's topsy-turvy and uh um, yeah. right. okay which brings me back to the landlord comparison because i think <laughs> i got it wrong and i think you got it wrong i don't think that we are the rats landlords the rats are our landlords because they're <laughs> parasites and they need us. Yeah. They don't True. provide anything for us. No. What the fuck are these rats doing? I mean, they literally just eat and fuck all day. <laughs> and like, you know, everything that, you know. If you knew my landlord. If you knew him. <laughs> yeah. That is, uh, that's interesting about cats. Uh, be, like because he, Lenin had a cat, and then that's always used as a way of saying like, oh, he had a softer side. But back then, that was kind of must may, might have been like the equivalent to Putin wrestling a bear now. Yeah, serial killer shit. Yeah, cats it's kind of weird. He had a cat in his house. Predator. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I mean, I know they used to be used on ships specifically for that purpose of keeping them free of rats. So they're like just local killers you can have around. I yeah. don't know shit about cats except that the domestication of the house cat in the last hundred years or so has had like a devastating impact on the ecology of everywhere it's happened. Like every bird dies, any small <laughs> creature for hundreds of miles away dies in like gruesome, torturous deaths. Really? <laughs> yeah, um, cats are evil, but we're bigger than them, so it's fine. Yeah, they're pretty nice Wait, to us. So by domesticating them, the the things that they wouldn't eat, but like somehow they they would keep these birds alive by like doing something to the soil or or what? Why does they the torture them for fun? <laughs> oh, you're oh. Say, you're saying they survive now that the cats are inside? Well, yeah. I mean, it's an interesting dichotomy, right? Because you have the cruelty of the cats, but it's only compared to the cruelty of man. Mm -hmm. There is no option under a human society that spans the entire globe except to either become a pet or die. I mean, we're living in a mass extinction event for this very reason. Yeah. Yeah. And so I guess what I'm saying is we have to take in the rats as pets because uh, they're, um, they're <laughs> eating each other. 
Like they're just resorting to cannibalism, which is really weird. I think I think it's cannibalism until they decide to start eating us, because it says that they they do like bite people sometimes, but it's usually that they bite children when children have like food on their faces. So they're just they don't want to oh. eat us. They want to eat our old food. Um, <laughs> I mean, think of how desperate you'd have to be to attack an animal a hundred times taller than you. <laughs> <laughs> but they don't You'd give have a to fuck, really dude. want it. <laughs> I'm, I'm going pro-rat. I do not think the rat is the landlord. I think the rat is the survivor of society. It, um, yeah. it, they do work together, and they do get stuck together sometimes. Reading this book it was kind of interesting because I always thought the Rat King was an urban legend. The Rat King being either – there's two urban legends. One is that there are just giant rats that are like the alpha rats that you see leading a bunch of rats around the city. That's not true. The other urban legend is that they get their tails all stuck together into just a big ring, and there's just a bunch of rats that are just now like – kind of a rat spider and that's real it's happened and that's real they've oh. found rat kings lo- as with as many as 32 rats stuck together oh. <laughs> yeah and that's, uh, that's a worse version of the human centipede <laughs> <laughs> um but also like it's stupid too because it's just like if all like 30 people had their legs stuck together <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's a very avoidable situation yeah that kind of doesn't happen with us, I guess. Um, yeah, they, they're, like, trying so, to untie each other. Like, okay, you, uh, 31, try moving your left leg a little bit. Let's let's start from the beginning. Yeah. She's, <laughs> uh, um, like, living with a bunch of boys. <laughs> These o- wild boys. Um. Some other facts about rats. I'm getting close to the end of my rat facts. Um, they uh, try to kill them. They're successful in killing them sometimes with this poison that, like, uh, it's very slow doses of poison because their sense of smell is so good that they can sense, like, one one millionth, one part poison to, like, one one mi- million you know, regular or whatever. So you have to, like, hit them with really low poison. Wow. So what happens is you get these rats that are, like, you can tell they're in the process of going back to and eating the poisoned food a bunch of times, not realizing it's poison in them. And uh, exterminators refer to it as dead rat walking when they see one. That's like the slang in the business. Oh, dead rat walking. Because he's just all like... Exterminator Row. culture is wild. Row. That's what I'm getting out of this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I had a, a bar patron one time who I, I was telling him I had a mouse problem, and he was like, oh, yeah? And he went out to his truck, and he was like, guess what I do for a living? And he gave me a bunch of glue traps. And he also told me that you have to, like, if you want to keep mice from burrowing in your building, you have to, like, uh, put this metal mesh in there because they will stop when they hit metal. But it actually doesn't fucking hurt them that much because a mouse, like a mouse or a rat's tooth, a rat's two front teeth, would grow to five inches long if it wasn't gnawing on shit all the time and it has like this flap behind it that it keeps it from just swallowing metal and concrete because it uses them to just burrow through shit all the time they're cool so what's your angle on adopting the rats again i think just like give me the pitch (laughs) i think i think that they're the real tenants like we're they're just be their habitats being destroyed because they need us to be eating hot dogs and shit and throwing the sticks on the ground the rats are like they're the reopen protesters they're like you know i want to trash (laughs) is a little sign he has (laughs) let's say i mean we should give them a city you know yes why not say like milwaukee it could get bombed at some point, 
uh, just drop a bunch of like fucking Joe Exotic food from meat from Walmart <laughs> there, and let them have their have a town for hundreds of years. You know, don't and make it there. Hopefully, eventually. long enough they'll civilize themselves. Well, <laughs> if the, you can just yeah. kind of keep them keep them there. But the thing is, they yeah. can't really exist without trash. Like, so they they could only have a town if there was one town where we threw all of our trash. Milwaukee. That is what <laughs> Andrews is offering: is yeah. we trash Milwaukee. <laughs> yeah. If uh, you live in Milwaukee, write in yay or nay, and we will make this happen. One final thing. One final note. Thousand dollar Patreon goal: destroy the city of Milwaukee <laughs> for the rats. <laughs> yeah we create just a new rat city there's like a giant statue of a rat in the middle of it and shit that'd be bad we just Let's show up like well we shit. said we do it we don't have alright I bought one gun <laughs> <laughs> I just gotta say I'm, I feel very misled by the secrets of Nim because that led me to believe that there are these noble creatures who cre- care about protecting others, uh, but they're just out at it for themselves, I guess. Oh, man, they're survivors. They protect each other. And, you know, they they just do that by making a lot of each other because they keep getting, like, run over by garbage trucks and shit. I, rats, I, here's where I'm going. Rats are, there's a lot of bad propaganda about them. They, uh... They're also being portrayed as vectors of disease, which they are, but not coronavirus, it doesn't seem yet. Really? It's inconclusive. No one has said yet whether, or no one's proved yet whether they can carry coronavirus, but it's a respiratory disease, so probably not. Here's a small list of the diseases that rats can transmit, though. Um, Thank you. Hantavirus, hemorrhagic fever with renal syndrome. Lassa fever. Sorry, uh, Hantavirus? Hantavirus. Hanta. He meant Honda virus. E Honda virus. <laughs> you have to buy a Honda. <laughs> uh, I, sounds like it means you're like haunted in the head, like you're a fan of the program. It sounds very cool, but I think it's just from like. My man's haunted in the head. <laughs> <laughs> just the rudest doctor of all time. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you're haunted in the head. That's what doctors used to basically say, "You're haunted in the yeah, head. I need to electrocute you." Okay, what? Uh, what else? Here's some Syphilis. more diseases that they can carry: Lymphoc- lymphocytic chloriomeningitis, OMSK, hemorrhagic fever, plague. There's one that's just listed as the word plague. Um, right, because you know it from the hits. <laughs> well, that is. Is that true though? Is that a, another myth that? The rats spread the, the the original, the OP original plague back in the day. I don't know, but I actually want to read a book that's um that's cited in this rat book because it's about disease, which might be interesting to read about right now. But it's called Rats, mm-hmm. Lice, and History, which is a, a classic work on the effect of disease on human history. So maybe we'll find out. But apparently, they at least can spread the plague. They can also spread plague something guy. known only as rat bite fever. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Uh, among humans i guess i think it's just a ted nugent song well i'm sold i'm gonna go get one right now (laughs) (laughs) i love them i love what they do west nile virus what is a chinchilla but just a pretty rat true Um, i don't know enough about chinchillas to debate this west nile virus 
relapsing fever. That's cool. Makes you fall off the wagon. I don't know. All right, so... (laughs) (laughs) That pretty much concludes my uh, rat facts and my thesis on rats, which is that they're cool, and I'm sad for them. All these rat facts have me hungry for an in-depth conversation on rent and landlords. (laughs) Yeah. You see... That might just be me. (laughs) You see the metaphor here? The rats are losing their homes, too. You know what? Maybe uh, I bet there's going to be a landlord or two who listens to this and tries to show it to their tenants and be like, see, rats aren't so bad. You know, live with them. What we need to do is form a human rat king, which is what you might refer to as a tenant's union, you know? Lock our tails together in solidarity and form into a terrifying circle of people that live in an apartment. Also, fucking is about to go up. (laughs) (laughs) For survival purposes. All right. Let's talk to... Rebel Steps, a podcast covering the uh, rent strike in New York, the uh, prospect of it, and uh, various other mutual aid projects and things like that. I will now be speaking to Amy and Liz from Rebel Steps. I'm ready! Despite all my rage, I'm ready to listen to this interview. <laughs> <laughs> here with Liz and Amy from Rebel Steps, a podcast on the Channel Zero Network, an anarchist radio and podcast network. Liz and Amy, welcome to the show. How are you? Doing okay. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for coming aboard. Um, I've listened to Rebel Steps. Uh, I quite enjoyed it. It's very interesting, very informative. Um, can I guess maybe you tell my listeners a little bit about what you guys do over there at your show, just to start off? Yeah, absolutely. So Rebel Steps is a podcast about taking action and building skills. It really comes from an anarchist perspective, but the skills are applicable and useful to any kind of leftist organizing context. Uh, We started it in 2016, um, kind of after the election. There was a lot of calls to like get involved or read a book or call your senators or donate. um, But we really wanted to sort of put something out there about how people could take action kind of in their everyday lives. Um, So it's really about welcoming in new people, growing movement organizers um, and things like that. Yeah, cool. and we uh, we we really try and like keep it very open and inviting. So we try to stay away from jargon or explain jargon, um, and we try to like start at the very beginning. And we also try and help people through just sort of the inevitable emotional and psychological barriers that sometimes come up in organizing. Like so, just sort of talking openly about like imposter syndrome as an example, and just like how organizing and doing new things can be a little uncomfortable. But you know, we have to work through that. Um, yeah, so those are some of the things we, we try and cover in every episode. Cool, yeah. I found it uh, very accessible, which is important, and it's a thing that, like, 
leftists can easily lose sight of because um, you know you can we can yell about uh, Kropotkin all day on here. You know, no one knows what the hell you're talking about. It's not going to do you any good in terms of uh, turning that shit into real life action. So um, yeah, so I uh, I liked what you guys uh, sort of did with season one, where they were just sort of short, easy to listen to explainers about things because um, yeah, you know. First steps are kind of the most daunting things in terms of like starting, you know, something like a tenants union or a rent strike or something like that. Um, so I think the little instructional how tos are very cool. Uh, but you also talked about like, um, how do we get into this? This movement building thing we were talking about. Um, yeah, I mean, like making things very inviting and easy to read, I guess, is important to uh, the story start of getting anything like this done yeah yeah absolutely um i think a lot of the impetus for the podcast was really just to kind of issue an invitation to as many people who wanted to hear it so one of the people we interviewed in season one literally said you know i've always thought of myself as more of an inviter than an organizer and i think uh, that that's our friend uh smoky and i think if you really wanted to sum up our whole podcast that's what it would be about um but then with our second season we did move a little bit more towards like the movement building aspects so um, kind of looking at what you might need to know or think about when you're working together. So whether that's something like as mundane almost as decision making to something like a little more interpersonal, like conflict resolution. Um, we just kind of want to walk through those things because as anyone who's been involved in these movements know, these things come up. And a lot of times new people have to like discover the same things over and over again. So just trying to kind of explain where the movement is coming from as far as like decision-making that's worked, what hasn't worked, what people have tried. And um, yes, that's been, the, that's been the focus of our second season. But then our second season got interrupted by all this rent strike stuff. And so we did kind of like pivot for a moment, paused in season two, to do what we do for every subject with rent strikes. So sort of look at the how-to, look at the step-by-step, look at how to invite people to join you, um, those sorts of questions, which are the questions that we have explored in season one and season two, but just now we're looking at them more explicitly for the here and now, during COVID-19, when people are talking about rent strikes, trying to achieve um, some level of a change in power dynamics between tenants and landlords, especially in New York. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, and I uh, would suggest anyone that is considering uh, possibly doing something like a rent strike or even looking into it, or you know, um, you're, if you're in a situation where you're you know, you're not even sure if that's the sort of thing that might help you out in this whole COVID-19 thing or, you know, I mean, I guess in general, uh, definitely check out the episodes that Rebel Steps did on, um, yeah, on the whole concept of this uh, rent strike thing we're experiencing right now. I, I feel a little bit almost like I missed an opportunity to have you guys on when coronavirus was first happening because there was a very urgent sense of, of needing to plan uh, you know, possible collective action against landlords, like all at the same time. And I, it's interesting, I guess where we're at right now, because you talk about like movements and I think something that was really interesting you guys talked about in kind of the last episode you did about this was that these things, there's parts of it that get left over afterwards. So if we're kind of moving past a moment when a rent strike might even happen you can still kind of uh hold over some of the infrastructure from it and hopefully 
use it or or maybe at least use continued collective bargaining to just like push the Overton window and gain some sort of like ground against the government and the landlords or whatever. But um, I, well, I was going to ask you to speak a little bit about that. And then also, if you can, um, about like what's going to happen next, do you think? Because I know no one really knows what's going to happen in terms of just the grand scheme of this coronavirus stuff. But it seems to me that the uh, <laughs> we're entering a very strange space, which is that people are going to try to go back outside. It seems like the coronavirus isn't going to be as contagious during the summer, you know, but it's, it might come back in the fall. And this kind of eye of the storm seems to be a situation in which they're really going to try to force everyone to go back to work. And thus it's going to be kind of harder to organize against your landlord because they're, uh, you know, they're just going to open certain things back up and say, well, go back to work. What do you think is going to happen and what do we do with all the stuff we've already set up? Yeah, so I think there's there's a few things. One is sort of like, yeah, how do we take this moment and build something for the future? And then also like, yeah, what's going to happen next? And I think we don't, we, no one knows really what's going to happen next, but it definitely seems like this is a long-term crisis, right? So even if people are kind of forced to go back to work over the summer, there's one, there's like, they haven't had income for many months. So that doesn't mean that they automatically are now, <clears throat> sorry, now able to start paying rent again. Um, but then also, with, you know, there's a there's a potential in, you know, when there's sort of a resurgence for them to lose income again. Um, but then as far as seizing this moment goes, um, we've been thinking a lot about sort of building trying to take rent strikes that are happening now and building those into kind of tenants unions and then kind of tenant like even bringing those together into like neighborhood wide tenant unions um, to try and build power that can be sustaining and can take us past this like current moment. Um, so really like trying to take what you've built and say you've done a rent strike for two months in your building and now some people are going back to work. You still have all those connections and you still have that kind of collective collectivity that you've built up. It's also possible that, you know, you're going to have you're going to have to go to court together or you're going to have, you know, your landlord's going to be harassing you. And, and so there's still going to be kind of like a long term collective kind of material thing tying you together, even as you kind of start to go back to work or have income again. Yeah. And and just to add to it a little bit, like I think it would be it would be naive to think that this is the last crisis that we will face as I, as a species or as a generation um, or as New Yorkers, I mean, whether it's climate change or the continuing effects of COVID-19 and the economic crisis, like there's not really a moment we're going to arrive at where everyone is going to be safe, um, in my opinion, um, from what I'm like observing. And so, you know, one of the things that we said in like both our first one where we were just talking about starting a rent strike and even and a little more in our second one as well, is just that like we are going to need each other as neighbors to get through any sort of future crisis. And so just reaching out to your neighbors, seeing what they need, seeing where they're at, even if you think that you'll be able to afford rent forever, there's a good chance there's someone in your building who can't afford rent forever. <laughs> and in some ways, your fate is kind of tied to theirs, because what if they get COVID-19 from trying to do work outside that they shouldn't be doing, or they, like, you know, work that is da dangerous? Like, you could end up getting sick from that. And so, like, it's like, yes, support our communities, but also we're all in this together. There's there's no world in which New York can come out of this with, like, half the population being homeless or something because they got evicted, and then you're just like, well, at least I can afford rent. Um, you know, even if it's just out of self-interest, we have to help each 
each other out through this because um yeah it's it's not going to be over for a long time and even if it is ever over there's there's always going to be the next the next crisis yeah definitely yeah i think there's um probably a lot of value in uh kind of maintaining a sense of uh network with you know everyone else in your building everyone else in your community and all that stuff um one of the things that i guess when i was listening to you guys talk about rent strikes popped out at me and kind of uh um i don't know just kind of seemed to kind of valuable observation was that when you go to your uh, landlords about this sort of stuff they tend to panic and they start saying why don't you come to me individually which is very telling you know they're trying to get you to isolate yourselves not communicate with each other that way they can stick you know specific rent rates on specific people without them you know sharing the information and then us all going hey what the fuck right um so yeah i mean if if when you start organizing against your landlord that's something that you see and observe it wouldn't make any sense to go back to being isolated and you know keeping to yourselves in terms of communicating with the person that you know owns the building that you rent from or whatever so yeah um good thing to kind of just keep going i guess yeah definitely i mean um it, you also, what I've found from participating in a rent strike is that it might seem like rent is this like immovable, permanent thing that you like have to pay exactly what the landlord is asking. And it's kind of bizarre to see how the power dynamics have changed in New York with COVID-19 happening and the eviction moratorium. And so, you know, you can sort of push back on some of these things and, um, a lot of other people that are rent striking, like I haven't had this particular issue, but um, some other buildings have mentioned that there are like um, just tons of maintenance issues that just have not been addressed for a long time. And that this kind of moment with COVID-19 was the impetus to sort of get together and bring them all together and be like, oh, wow, like everyone has a maintenance complaint and we just haven't talked about it before and we haven't tried to collectively organize for it. So I think a lot of people are discovering for the first time like, oh, wow, like, you know, we can actually demand more of our landlords and we can actually demand to have a livable situation for ourselves. It, it just takes kind of like, or not, not it just takes, because it's very hard and it's very challenging. I don't want to diminish that. But, you know, talking to each other gives us this whole new toolkit that we've never really explored before um, or that a lot of us have not explored before. And I think it is really exciting to see that unfolding and people having that realization. Yeah, the whole dividing people up and being like, why don't you talk to me individually or like I can give you flexibility is also like exactly what you see in labor organizing. Um, so it's like it's a really common thing where it's like, oh, it, when people get together, the people in power understand they understand that that's scary for them, like immediately and viscerally. <laughs> and I think that it's that's really powerful also for the people who are doing the collective action because they're like, oh, shit, I I have that power. And so, yeah, it's just like it's it's a it's a dynamic that's mirrored in a lot of different situations. Um, question, though, I mean, what would you say to people that sort of uh, dismissed the idea of rent striking from the get go in that it would be impossible to organize one this large or, you know, that this is something that can only happen if we support like, a, you know, a legislative kind of thing? Uh, tactic or whatever just trying to pressure you know whoever the hell in the government to get this you know Cuomo or something um 
how do you, I guess, approach this without becoming a complete nihilist? Because it seems to me that, like, back when it was first starting, everyone was like, well, Cuomo would have to do something, and he's not going to do anything, so good luck, you know? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that we tried to be very clear about is that this is, like, a challenging thing to organize. Doing a rent strike is not something that should be taken lightly by any means. Um, But I think the sort of feeling that like we shouldn't even talk about rent strikes or shouldn't even think about strategizing with it, it's just very defeatist it's like all of these like we had on twitter cancel rent and rent strike trending like multiple times in march um and i think dim- dismissing a sort of like popular demand like that is yeah, it's just defeatist. It's like <laughs> people are excited about something. So let's so let's see what's out there. I also would say that like one of the things that the one of the reasons we really wanted to talk about it and cover it is that in March there were many people and there still are many people who just legitimately can't pay rent. So to just not give them the tools to do a rent strike, to not talk about what that would look like, is just leaving them completely vulnerable because it means that they alone in their building might not be paying rent. And if you alone aren't paying rent, well then you'll definitely get evicted. If your whole building gets together and you negotiate and you talk to the landlord and you say we want to protect each other you're in a much better position as an individual um so i think that like on one hand it's like the material conditions of the moment people needed support because they weren't going to be able to pay rent so let's support them um but then also from like a more strategic standpoint just like bigger vision when people are really excited to take a political action like a kind of radical stand against landlords like that we don't have to just like throw out the rule book and be like yeah we're so excited for you to do this dangerous thing yeah let's be realistic about it but like don't just dismiss it and then the last thing i would say is that you know in our last episode even though we do come from an anarchist perspective we talk about legislation as one of the ways we're going to have to move forward to like protect tenants because otherwise people just get evicted eventually like maybe not now but like you know a year from now um but there's a difference between looking for Um, legislative means to like protect people and saying like you know what we're going to build power from the bottom up we're going to build these structures to protect each other and as part of that we will like accept these legislative reforms and then on the other hand just being like well you know if we just did a legislative reform everything would be better and we could go back to normal so we kind of see the legislative aspect of this as like a tool a way to protect individual tenants Um, but we also want to be clear that that's not the end game the end game is like democratically run democratically is in like the decision making feature not like dnc democratically <laughs> but like you know like like these these like um tenants unions that really belong to the people and them that can protect each other for the long run also from the legislative angle i think this was like kind of an eye-opening situation for me thinking about how we can kind of materially force the hand of legislators so by millions of people not paying rent, we have created a situation where legislators will have to do something. Will it be good? Maybe not. You know, it might not even end up being that helpful, but they cannot do nothing because that would just cause an even further disaster. Um, so I think it, that's been kind of interesting to to think about for me, because in, in the past, I thought as le- of legislation as being like kind of, you know, calling your representatives or working on electoral campaigns and things like that. And I think this has been like a different angle that I hadn't thought about before. Yeah, it's uh, it's really hard to kind of 
deprogram people from thinking that the entirety of affecting something like this is texting that robot that then texts your senator or whatever. <laughs> yeah, um, totally. And you guys noted in the history part of some of your episodes that like the the you know the the ground we have made in terms of making sure that people are able to not be completely annihilated via this sort of situation during like the Great Depression and stuff like that came from uh, pressure. Uh, put on politicians from the left when they think that something like you know that there is a real collective threat coming against them or you know someone who represents that like as a politician so it is you know it is a real thing and it, it really can and will sort of probably save us in some to some degree here um but i guess the reason i'm asking uh kind of a, a, a counter question to this whole thing is um that it's important when talking about this to not gloss over the inherent risk in going on rent strike. There's very good reasons for certain people not to do it and certain people to do it. So, you know, you don't want to, like, encourage anyone to go just blindly into something that um, actually, you know, for, you may not have a good payoff. Um yeah, definitely each situation is unique. And like we talk about that in the first episode that it's like everyone knows their situation best and there are situations where it may be too risky for you or you know, there may just be like like for me um I live in a, a very small building. There's one other tenant. I like have a personal relationship with my landlord who lives in the building and so it would be a very different it would look very different than organizing in a large building or organizing across multiple buildings against this sort of like corporate landlord. So Every situation is different. Um, and so, yeah, it's really important to get legal advice, make sure you understand your situation. Um, but then also, maybe, I don't know if you want to talk about a little bit, Liz, once you get started, you may uncover things that are, like, really on your side. Yeah, so I am currently um, in the middle of a stri rent strike that is going better than I thought it would, actually. I was a little worried about it at first, but... Um, Basically, we just found that there were a lot of things that our landlord was doing that were not particularly legal. And I think since we're in the middle of it, I don't know if I want to go into a ton of detail because it's not all said and done yet. Um, yeah, but we found ourselves in an actually much better situation than I thought we were going to be. And on some level, I'm like, OK, well, we just like, you know, kind of got lucky. We had like a landlord who didn't take care of the building and did everything to like save a little money here, a little money there. And then it ended up to be a bunch of legal problems. And then also our landlord took the move of like, even though they're in like very precarious legal situation with the building, they decided to enlist lawyers, which is like, why would you try and take us to court if you know that your own situation is a disaster? But you know what? That's her <laughs> strategy. I don't know what she's doing over there. It's, it's just a little, it's a little confusing to me. But anyway, um, <laughs> um, yeah, but so on some level, we just kind of got lucky in that we had this sort of like bizarre situation. But on the other hand, landlords are pretty used to cutting corners in New, in New York, especially. I can't really speak for other places, but I can say that like in New York, I feel like landlords are pretty accustomed to getting what they want. They're accustomed to kind of intimidating land uh, like tenants. They're accustomed to sort of just demanding a lot of money for their units, no matter what's going on. Um, and so, you know, I think more people are finding those sorts of things in their building than they thought. They just hadn't really thought to, like, look for them before. Again, it's sort of this thing of, like, because of the eviction moratorium, because of what's going on, the power dynamics have shifted ever so slightly, and now tenants have, like, a little bit more power than they have in the past. Um, so... 
So yeah, I mean, like, no one should just go out and just not pay rent alone. Like, and we said we say that a lot. And like, I think a lot of the rhetoric that was sort of like dismissive of the rent strike or caution cautionary about the rent strike was was like trying to dissuade people from just randomly not paying rent. But I think that like, you know, do the research. Just know your rights in your city. There, there's like. There's nothing to be lost from, one, just talking to your neighbors and seeing what their situation is, like just seeing what's going on in your building, either for doing mutual aid projects in your building or organizing as tenants. And there's also like nothing to be lost with just reading your rights, maybe getting a little legal advice if you can get some for free. Um, You know, just do a little bit of research and you might find a month or two from now that that legwork of meeting your tenant, the other tenants and of learning a little bit about the legal situation might be like super helpful for you because also we're not out of the woods on this like this is one thing I keep saying is that I'm like really no one can afford to pay their rent because no one knows that they're going to have health insurance next month no one knows if they're going to have a job next month (laughs) but again every situation is different don't run into a rent strike situation that when you don't have all the tools you need to to really do um to do it like well and in a way that can protect yourself um but you know look seek out some tools to protect yourself because it's it's just it's not It's not great out there. I don't know if anybody's been reading the news lately, but it's not great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I don't know why I keep lulling into a false sense of security. Maybe it's because I'm a podcaster. Uh, But, like, they're going to stop sending us money at some point, too. So this will probably be extremely relevant. But assuming it's not, I think we should round out, or assuming it's, you know, not as uh, uh, crazy as uh, it, it was or, you know, what I'm getting at is I think we should round out on um, kind of this thing we were talking about up top, which is that there are moments like this, like coronavirus, when people get uh, involved in mass and then there's a tendency for people to kind of, well, for whatever reason, lapse back into either not caring or being apathetic or just feeling, you know, false sense of security or whatever, um, what do you think about that? What is your take on that in regards to what's happening right now? Yeah, so we're seeing one of these moments that we've seen before, right? Occupy the 2016 election, these sort of things where we have kind of masses of people joining the left, basically being like, what's this going on over here? The world is messed up. Let me kind of explore getting involved. I think the wrench strike is even is kind of an even broader swell in because of the impact of COVID. So, um, we get these big swells, and then my experience kind of being part of that swell in 2016 is that there was a lot of people who were like, oh, people join, and then they just go, and this is, like, such a tragedy, and, like, if only people would stay involved for, like, their entire lives. <laughs> and I think that's just – that's a really tall order. Um, and I think that um, there are plenty of reasons that people would want to go back to their, right, their quote-unquote regular lives. Not every person is going to devote their life their life to leftist politics. So um, – I think it's really important to take these moments and strategize around them. So I think for the for the this influx, try to build those tenants unions and kind of build an infrastructure such that people can sort of go back to their regular lives, but still retain that power that we got from this moment is um, is really important. And to just kind of accept that some people are going to kind of leave the organizing and kind of go back and and not kind of see that as like this huge negative, but just understand that that's something that we can use in the left as like a strategic point. 
Yeah, and then also, like, I would say our podcast was our particular answer to this question of, like, what do we do with these groundswell moments? It's like, oh, we, like, issue a very robust invitation to stay if you would like to continue organizing. Because I think that a lot of people come in in these moments and there's a lot of anxiety and maybe around the particular crisis. Like, when uh, Trump was elected, there's a lot of, like, just, like, a frenzy of activity, but a lot of, a lot of like, not knowing what was going to happen. I think we have a similar thing now. Um And so, yeah, just like people might not know exactly how to plug in and they might not know how to plug in for the long term. Like they might know how to do it during an emergency because they saw it happen, but then they don't know what to do next. Um, And I think that one of the things we can think about in these moments is not like, oh, why doesn't everyone stay? But like, oh, how can I encourage this person to take the next step? Like, how can we encourage as many people as possible to take the next step? Like, we're not going to retain everyone. So maybe we can just move the percentage up like, you know, one or two percent every time we have these sort of groundswell moments. And then like the last thing I would say on that, too, is that like a lot of people are like, oh, all these people left the moment. Like, it's it's very sad that, like, everyone went back to their quote-unquote normal lives. But we don't really know what effect these moments have on people. So, you know, someone might have had a really emotional experience at a protest, like, you know, four years ago or, or eight years ago or something that might stay with them and might make them more open to rent striking now or might make them more open to workplace organizing. You know, one of the things that Amy and I really believe is that, like, the best political education is taking political action. Like, when you actually are involved, it teaches you something about yourself and about society that, like, no amount of, like, studying can really do because it just really shows you what what people are capable of, um, like in a good way, like what kind of movements we're capable of building and how we can build power. Um, yeah. So I think like, you know, we have a lot of people energized right now. Like, let's make it normal to be part of a tenants union in New York. Like, you know, everyone's like, oh, you ought to vote as your civic duty or whatever. It's like whatever. And to me, that's like just like not even that important. But what if it was your civic duty to be part of a tenants union or something? Like what if it that was it was that normal that it's like, oh, well, did, you know, you moved. Did you join your local tenants union yet? That to me would be like a huge change in New York. And I think it would really change people's mindset about like what community can be and what we can do to protect um, each other. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think that uh, our goal here should be to try to take try to get to a point where all the celebrities that yell at people to vote are yelling at you to be in a tenants union. They never will because they have uh, you know <laughs> probably no uh, need to be in one themselves. But it would be cool if you know I don't know who are these people like Billy Eichner is just screaming at me on Twitter to you know be in a tenants union. I'd be like, yes, I am Billy. I I will do that. You know. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's, uh, that's a world I want to live in. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I like that. I think that that's probably a good place to land here. Um, yeah, I, I guess this it's reminding me a lot of like, you know, we haven't really talked about this at all, but like the post Bernie thing, there are people that are just kind of dropping off and stuff, and like, uh, this isn't entirely analogous to COVID or anything like that, but it is analogous to movement building, you know. People that have been in stuff like this for a long time will tell you, get used to losing. It's a marathon, not a sprint. And so, you know, you kind of just have to be resigned to uh, pushing a boulder up a hill for a very long time. I guess that's not a really good way to sell it. <laughs> <laughs> well, but yeah, it is It is a long-term thing. And, and um, I think having that mindset is important. Um, I think... Our, it's not our next episode, but one of our, one of our episodes kind of closing out season two is about kind of activist mental health. And um, you do have to you have to work in a sustainable way um, because it is it is a long term thing. 
um, to be involved in these struggles. Yeah, and that's part of why, like, focusing on specific things like building tenants unions is a good idea. Like, um, when people are against reform, sometimes I'm like, okay, are you all planning a revolution, like, before August? Because otherwise we need to figure out what to do about evictions. (laughs) But also, in addition to it just being, like, practical and, like, materially protecting people, it's also, like, let's have small goals. So, like, you know yeah, like, wouldn't it be cool to have, like, a tenants union in your neighborhood? Okay, like, let's see what that would look like, and let's work on that. And that can be a success for the next, like, six months or a year to, like, build that up and, like, and and deal with that specific thing. If if your goal is just, like, the transformation of the world into utopia, you're probably going to fail. I'm sorry, it's just, like, probably not going to happen in your lifetime. So, you know, giving ourselves manageable task and goals can be it can be revitalizing because we need to celebrate wins sometimes even when we don't win everything we got to celebrate a little bit of something when we take these steps towards a really like liberatory future yeah i uh, totally agree and i think doing things that like this this small of a scale kind of keeps you uh in a healthy headspace when it comes to how far you're pushing it, you know? People get really frustrated that we didn't win the whole damn thing all in one fell swoop. Um, all right, well, I think uh, I probably got to get moving on here, but can you let my listeners know where they can find you and where they can listen to the podcast? Absolutely, yeah. You can find all of our episodes at rebelsteps.com or on pretty much any podcast app. Um, and you can also find us on Twitter, um, just at rebelsteps. And we are part of the Channel Zero Network, an anarchist podcasting network. Um, so go over to channelzeronetwork.com if you want to hear more anarchist content. And we also have a Patreon. Um, so you can find us on there as well if you'd like to uh, get you know, some secret content. Secret content. I love it. Uh, cool. All right. Well, thanks, y'all. And uh, good luck. And thanks for fighting the good fight. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. Absolutely. Okay, that was our interview with Rebel Steps. Um, let's do plugs and get the hell out of here. I I learned a lot. <laughs> we definitely don't record these out of order. Order. <laughs> okay. Um, let's see. What do I got going on this week? Um, I want to plug a million things. Read my Twitter. I... Uh, wanted to address the controversy about how we make very little money off of our patreon that <laughs> happened on twitter the other day by uh, just promoting a lot of stuff so i'll be starting a thread that just where i promote a lot of different things and i'll be having a lot of people on the podcast to try to promote their actions and various works and you know things that they make it you know the things we do with our fucking podcast so um check out my twitter if you want to know a lot of different things that are going on and if you would like to support us who are we're dying in New York because we are rats. We are rats that live in New York and there's not enough trash for us. The government won't give us the universal basic trash that we need to survive. Then you can buy bonus episodes of our show on patreon.com for $5 a month. There's four episodes, a dollar 25 a show. How cheap is that? Wow. Holy shit. They were just given so many of them by this point. Yeah. It's like a fucking hundred of them. Yeah. It costs very little money in the grand scheme of things. So please support us on Patreon. If you'd like to buy some merch, we have bandanas and shirts and shit like that. Big car- poddamnamerica.bigcartel.com 
It's listed right. on all our shit. Um, my other podcast is called Why if You Mad. If anybody else wants to audit how poor we are, <laughs> make sure <laughs> make sure you tag us. Yeah. Um, my other podcast is called Why You Mad. Rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, all our shit. And that's it. That's all I've got. Okay. Uh, listen to my other podcast, Balling Out Super. It's a comedy show uh, recapping episodes of Dragon Ball Z Kai. Also, we're doing fun radio shows on there, and I got another one coming out soon. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can uh, go to at Patak Jokes, P T A K Jokes. And my pin tweet is the last radio show I did Fukitsu no Aero Koko, Pedophile High School. Very highly reviewed by the five people who listen to it. Come check it out. That's it for me. At Spector to Force on Twitter <laughs> uh, is my account. <laughs> if you would like to check out uh, Anders Lee, who I've been doing a dynamite impression of this entire time. Long range pull on that one. It's like an hour. Check him later. out on Twitter at Anders Lee here. And we have less than one week to go before. Uh, some bourgeois parliamentary uh, endeavors here in the D.C. area. Uh, Michaela Wilkes might might knock out Stenchy Voyer in Maryland's 5th District. She needs some help doing phone calls, needs some cash. And uh, Janice Lewis-George in Ward 4. I've been plugging these two ladies for a while now, but these are really important races that you can do as well as uh, mutual aid work in your community, including D.C. And um, there's some stuff going on here, too, as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, hit up David for questions about that, which is <laughs> hit up me, David. Dude, Thank you, David Spector, David. for guesting on the show. I'm going to tag him in like the episode and everything. So he thinks <laughs> he's on the show. I mean, he is on the show. Thank you, David Spector. Thank yeah, you, anytime. David Spector. Anytime. Now I'm back. All right. <laughs> that was a Get really tough impression to do for an hour. Oh my God. <laughs> All right. Get his ass. Uh, well, do you want to say it's finished, David Spector? It's finished. <laughs>